acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben, and as always, we are joined with our uh, super producer, Noel Miscellaneous Brown. Miscellaneous. All right, that's a good one. That's not my best work. Junk Drawer. Oh, nice. nice. Noel Junk Drawer Brown. Boy, that's hard to say. Junk Drawer. Junk junk Drawer. It's up there with (laughs) Rural Drawer. It is, yes. The Rural Drawer's Junk Drawer. Oh, boy. Hey, do you, uh, real quick, before we get started, Yeah. Uh, you have a junk drawer, right? I of course I do, most yeah. people do. Yeah, sure. Uh, when I moved to my new place, I was trying to, uh, you know, we have the, all those delusions when we move. We're like, this is going to be where I get my life together. Oh, yeah. Right? And uh, I was like, I am going to live without a junk drawer. And I couldn't do it. I lasted maybe six months, isn't man. It, isn't it funny how probably, I, I, mean, I, I would venture a guess that, Ninety-nine percent of everybody listening to us has a junk drawer. Their parents had a junk drawer. Uh-huh. It just seems to be something you can't do without in a house. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's just a. It's just just a simply a place to put things away. I mean, you could have a whole room. You might have a junk room. People do. Yeah, people do. Yeah. I can't because my apartment has like three rooms. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, people do have uh, junk rooms. The reason I was wondering about this is because growing up, one thing that I always found in junk drawers would be car keys. Two cars that maybe were older than me that I had, you know, that I had never seen. My parents may have sold the cars before, uh, I was born, like my dad's MG, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. uh, I got really excited the year I found it because I thought, Oh wow, we have a secret garage. Yeah. He's storing this away for me probably, right? Yeah. Oh man. Kids are so narcissistic. Wouldn't that be cool? And you know, you find like old house keys, you find uh rubber bands. Yeah. Uh, but those car keys, you know, here's an interesting thing though. It seems like now, uh, with car keys being what they are, you know, with the fobs and the, uh, you know, the, the electronics that go along with the key. Yeah. It seems that when you sell a vehicle, you make a pretty good effort to find that second set of keys because most people have two keys, one spare that they keep at home in the junk drawer or wherever. Right. And then one they always carry with them or maybe give it to a spouse or something like that. But, um, 
It seems like maybe uh, the days of finding old car keys are going to be gone soon, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and it's weird when you think about it that key technology in general is going to be something that within your lifetime, listener, is going to change drastically. Will will car keys be the new, like, laser disc or floppy disc? Do we talk about this? I think you and I have talked about this before. I feel like we've talked about the price of car keys before, how expensive it is. They are super expensive. Um, but this, this is just a side note on, uh, okay, on a, on a word processor, like Microsoft Word or something. Yeah. It hit me, and maybe we've talked about this on air, Scott, but it hit me that a lot of kids don't know what that icon above the save button is. Oh, yeah, that's right, because it is a floppy disk, right? Right, and no one uses it. And are keys going to be also obsolete later on? I mean, at least for cars, that's the direction it's going, for yeah. sure. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. I think keys are going to dramatically change over the next few years, just as just about everything in the automobile is changing right now. It yeah. seems like development, it's, it's rapid right now. It's happening way faster than it did in the past. Uh, the changes, the, uh, the developments we've seen, like in, mm-hmm. I mean, simple things like infotainment and even, uh, the readouts on the, uh, on the, on the driver's display, the dash, mm-hmm. um, steering wheel controls, things like that. All that stuff is changing so quickly and the way that you control it, you know, whether it's a, a, a single joystick, you know, or a single, it almost looks like a mouse in the middle uh, uh-huh. that you can control it with, or if it's touch screens or whatever, you know, all this is changing. Keys are changing at an equally fast rate. You know, it's so strange when we, when we think about that evolution because I might get dinged a little for saying this, but probably one of the slowest degrees of change has been material science because it's been a steady incremental rise. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But in every other case, it's almost like Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point. You know, it seems like just, uh, you know, you look at a car from, uh, 10 years ago, right. And, Mm -hmm. Boom. It's, it's radically different. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's right. It, it appears dramatically different from, oh, what was the year that we said, uh, we, we typically go to? Is it 2010 or is it 2005? Uh, where it, it seems like there was one point where cars just dramatically increased in the amount of technology that was in, in inside the vehicle. Right. Um, it I seems like everything for, hit at once. In terms of tech, I think it's 2010 probably. Yeah. And of course, this stuff was still happening in luxury cars. Years and years and years before, but I think 2010 is when we really start to see mass production. I guess what I'm talking about is like, you know, the, the inclusion of things like electronic stability control and oh, yeah, every, okay. you know, every car must have front airbags, rollover bags, you know, the, uh, the, the side curtain bags, uh-huh. bags in the airbags in the seats. Mm-hmm. I, we see, we see airbags in the, uh, in seat belts now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it really, there's a, there's a point where it uh, dramatically just takes off. You're right. It's like that tipping point, as you said. Oh. Uh, Scott, it just occurred to me. We're not talking about junk drawers today. <laughs> we're, we're, we've just, our segue, our usual intro has gone on so long. We haven't talked at all about what <laughs> this show is, but we're, that's because we're actually doing the very first episode of, uh, nuts and bolts 2016. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it's been a long, long time since we've sure done one. Has. Uh, man, I think it was April of 2015. Yeah. The last time we did that. Now along the way, we do bring up listener mail, of course, and mm-hmm. some suggestions. And we've been creating these massive lists of, you know, possible topics and, uh, you know, kind of going back and forth with listeners about what they know about certain things, you know, as far as what they want to hear on, right. on these podcasts. So we've, we've, uh, I think we've been pretty successful throughout 2015 with, uh, with, uh, bringing listener suggestions to the air. Yeah, I, I would like to say so. Uh, you know, listeners, as 
we often say our best suggestions come from you. And we get such a grab bag of uh, cool stuff, uh, oca- the occasional kind correction. No, occasional. Occasional. And we also get these really great things that are fascinating, yet maybe too short to be an episode on their own. True. Just like a junk drawer, you got a bunch of little stuff that doesn't really go anywhere else. Yeah, sure. right. Yep, yep. But it's uh, it's something interesting you want to hang on to anyways, and that's kind of the way we, we look at a nuts and bolts episode. So there's a few things here that um, are kind of like stuff Scott sees, maybe some uh-huh. stories or something I've got yeah. from you know, the last several months now at this point that I've been kind of collecting. Uh, but we've also got a lot of uh, listener suggestions, some more of those from Facebook, from email. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle this in a slightly different way today than I normally do. See what we, we normally do is we come in here with a giant stack of email <laughs> yeah. and I try to highlight and read uh, a lot of the notes from the people that, you know, have sent them in. They've taken a long time to craft them. So I figure, well, we'll, we'll give them their, uh, their airtime and, and read them and let everybody know what they're thinking. This time, I think we're going to try to burn through several of these. So I've got maybe, I'm going to say 10 or 12 of each one from, from Facebook, from email. And I've got some, uh, some, like an article to go over from Popular Mechanics yeah. here. Uh, again, some stories, uh, just, Kind of a general feel for what people are asking for is what we're going to do today. Yeah, and we've also got some news. We've got some uh, interesting uh, tidbits, a little bit of weird stuff, and statistically speaking, the odds are fairly high that at some point I will go on a rant about something. Just I'm not planning it. Oh. Just, I don't know what we're going to run into. Well, we look forward to it. <laughs> we'll see, man. We'll every, see. Every time. So uh, what's up first? All right, we'll tell you what. Let's uh, Let's look at a few... Facebook suggestions. Now, I did find a way to search the messages in Facebook finally, so I'll uh, I'll show you how to do that later, Ben. But um, <laughs> it was a uh, it was a mystery to me for a while. I finally figured it out. It was pretty easy, and uh, it allowed me to dig some stuff up from the very end of last year, which is great, and and even farther back. I've got more than just these, by the way. So if you wrote to us and had a suggestion, I guarantee you that I've read it. I guarantee you that I've put it on a list. Uh-huh. It's just I'm not maybe going to get to it today in this in this list because we have uh, we have limited space. But here's a few of the uh, the highlights, I guess. Uh-huh. So Miles D wrote in in uh, September of 2015, and Ben, I think we'll just stick to uh, first name, last initial. How about that? Yeah, that's probably the best way to go. Anonymity, right? And if right, we so- if we come into if we run into another Miles D, we'll call him Miles D two. <laughs> Okay, we'll do that. If we run into three, then something weird is happening. Something's got to change. All right, so uh, Miles D wrote in in September of 2015, and he wanted to uh, he wanted us to talk about the rotary powered Corvette concept uh, from 1970, and that's a, this is a fantastic idea. It's something that I've posted about on Facebook, mm-hmm. and it, it, well, I'll just briefly tell you a little bit about it. 1970, it was a concept car from General Motors. Uh, GM had a an entire rotary program. It was in place, which a lot of people don't even know about. And this was authorized by John DeLorean, who was uh, Chevrolet's, uh, the, like the Chevy division's uh, GM at that point. Uh-huh. So he authorized this whole program. And uh, and I think it was the fuel crisis, maybe, that, that bit into um, what they were planning to do. But they had a four-rotor Corvette that was a mid-engine Corvette scheduled to come out in the 1970s. I think it was scheduled actually for production around... Um, well, I, I, you know what? Not this one specifically. Here's the weird twist in this. Okay. That one kind of, uh, you know, arrived and then went away because the, the rotary program left mm-hmm. or, or was, was killed, killed off. They took that exact same car, that mid-engine car, and they put a 400 cubic inch V8 in it and called it the AeroVet. And I think it was around 1977. And then in 1980, that one was scheduled for 
production. They were going to actually produce a mid-engine Corvette in 1980. And for whatever reason, there was like a, um, a guard change at General Motors around that mm-hmm. time. And those guys decided they were going to kill that whole program off as well. So, um, big changes for Corvette around that yeah. time era. And, and we didn't get to see any of the rotary engines really come out in, uh, the production vehicles from GM that, that should have really. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Second one. Uh, Ryan A wrote in in August of 2015 and wanted to hear about the, oh, Ryan, I'm going to mention this. Ryan is from Hawaii. Oh, cool. And, uh, wrote in and wanted to hear about the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution Series cars. And he specifically owns a 2014 GSR, said that he bought it just before he moved to Hawaii, to Hawaii. And he said he gets the same kind of rush out of driving that car as he does driving his motorcycle. So, you know, wow, it's an, it's, that's high praise. Well, it is. And you know what? I see these on the road a lot. We've talked sure. about the, uh, the evolution vehicles a few times uh-huh. on this show. Uh, but we've never done a full show on just that vehicle. And, um, I think I think it's worthwhile, of course. Yeah, I think we could do a whole show on this because if you look at it, it's got some it's got some scoot to it and the specs are pretty pleasing. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a good looking vehicle. A lot of people are uh I guess super fans of the Evolution series. So uh yeah, definitely we'll we'll get to that. It's on the list. Yeah, uh definitely we have to do that one. All right. So you want me to go through a couple more here or yeah, you want to yeah. uh you want to chime yeah. in with anything at any time, okay? How about that? <laughs> okay. All right. So um this next one comes from Yijun C. Uh, and Yijun wrote in in, uh, I think it was in August, the end of August of 2015 from Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne? No, oh, Melbourne, I'm sorry. Not Melbourne, yeah, I shouldn't say Melbourne. That's We've, the, that's the one that we have managed to correctly pronounce <laughs> until today. But you corrected me, so thank you for doing that. And, uh, um, Yijun wrote in and said that, uh, they would like to hear about the shooting brake design. Oh, and cool. I think this is a good idea. We've done yeah. specific types of vehicles before, like shapes of vehicles before, uh-huh. and I think this is a good example um, uh, of something that we uh, we should cover because there's a lot out there. There's the Ferrari FF, which is yeah. making or has made news recently. There's the BMW M coupes, the you know the Z3 mm-hmm. coupes, uh, Mercedes Benz CLA class. They've got a shooting brake. Um, there's been some concept cars that have actually called themselves the shooting brake. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just there's a lot out there going back through history. Um, as well as some modern versions. So I think that's a, a fantastic idea. Um, next one is from Bob M. Wrote in in September of 2015. And uh, this is an interesting question. This this could almost be one of our, um, you know, mystery no... Mystery shows? Yeah, mystery show, like the no prep type shows yeah, that we do. Yeah. Uh, Bob wanted to hear us talk about the cheapest running car you ever bought. The now, cheapest running uh, for how long? Well, the cheapest running <laughs> car. So you're not like picking up a car that you know is is a hundred dollars, but you have to tow it home. You're not buying something for parts. No, this is a, a cheapest running car. Now his example that he he says, and he's got more detail than this, and we'll talk about it when we get to the show. But uh, his example is a seventy five dollar nineteen sixty five Mercury Comet four door that he bought Ooh. and uh, you know, kept it for a while. But uh, I'll save the details for later. Okay. But be thinking about that. Your your cheapest running car that you've ever bought, you know, throughout your your motoring history. Yeah, I'm gonna hold off because I think I know the answer already. <laughs> okay. And and you may have heard of it before, but boy, just thinking of that thing makes me feel like my life is in danger. It, it was running, <laughs> uh, but it was running wild, man. Yeah, it was uh <laughs> it was worth every penny is what you're saying. <laughs> Both pennies, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, here's one from Jason G. And Jason wrote in at the end of August and uh, on Facebook mm-hmm. and said, oh, this is a good one, too, Ben. You're going you're gonna to like this one, I okay. think. 
surveillance vehicles and cool surveillance gadgetry that goes along with them for automobiles, vans, whatever. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic idea. We have, how have we not done that? I don't know. I, I mean, I think Jason says that he himself is a, a private investigator, uh-huh. um, and would have a fascination in this type of thing and probably some inside knowledge, of course. Uh, but this would be kind of our chance to talk about, you know, uh, you know, Bleeding edge technology of what's For out sure. there. Some of the old school stuff, maybe that, uh, you know, the ways that they did it. Um, like sitting in the van. Yeah. The van, the curb. Yeah. Like the vans that say like definitely a florist on the side, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but have the big satellite dish. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many spoofs of this in television mm-hmm. and in movies yeah. and uh, just in popular culture. I think that, you know, it would be fun to do that and, and to, you know, take a real look at it as well. Like what you can go out and get. Uh, if you are a private investigator. Like, or as a civilian. Yeah, too. or, yeah, exactly right. So do you have to have licenses to get that yeah, stuff? Yeah, and how does, how, what, what specific gadgetry is used there? But this could also be, uh, not necessarily private investigator stuff. Let us not forget that the Google Maps crew, that's surveillance as well. Oh, that's true. You know, they're driving around so you can get the street view. They, they have these, those vans that drive around with a, a camera mounted on it and you can go online. This is a family show, so uh if you have kids, you might not want to check with check on this with them in the area, but you can go online and see the people that have been caught doing various things on the street while the Google uh car drove by. Sure, they get word that it's going to pass by at a certain time mm-hmm. and uh, stage a scene. Let's just say, let's leave it at that. Yeah, stage okay. a scene. You know what, you're making me think, and this is a tangent, So, sure, but, sure. but I guess this is what this show is all about, right? Right. So... I, and I've got sketchy details on this because I just read the story this morning, okay. and it was in Popular Science. It's about the 2016 Olympics, and the 2016 Olympics are happening in Rio de Janeiro, I think, okay. in Brazil. Uh-huh. And they are going to station four cameras overhead over over Rio de Janeiro that will record the entire city. And you may think that's impossible. There's no way to do it. But you can look it up in popular science and figure out how they, how, what they're going to do with this. But these are surveillance cameras that are so massive, like that have such a, a wide view. They only yeah. weigh, I think, I think they weigh 40 pounds each. They're going to put them in balloons, tethered balloons. Okay. And I think the purpose is kind of an anti-terrorism thing, you know. That it, sure. But it really is reactionary. They're going to be able to, well, they'll be able to monitor, but they'll also be able to uh, track people back. Because you can zoom in. This is crazy. Okay. Four of these cameras will cover the entire city. That's how wide it is. That's just nuts, man. The people that are monitoring it can zoom in to follow people or vehicles to or from wherever they're going. However, whatever they're zooming in to watch uh-huh. represents one, they, I think they said one ten thousandth of the view that is current, that is available and. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And being recorded at all times. So then the question would be, I, I would say, the question would be, are they responsible then for other crimes that are going to occur? Because you know it's a big pickpocketing city. It is. And uh, also, I, I believe, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I thought I heard uh, something about kidnapping as well. That's a huge uh, it's a profitable yeah. industry there. Yeah, um, kidnapping. Um, well, just petty leave. crimes too. I mean, yeah, it's going to be hit, there's also going to be hit and runs. There's going to be sure. all kinds of stuff that are ha- that's happening. But I think the the main focus is, and I I mean, hate to say it, but this is a this is going to be the focus of the world for a while. Rio de Janeiro. Uh huh. It might be a target, right? Yeah. So if something does happen, they will be able to trace back. You know, they'll be able to watch in reverse where these people came from exactly. Get an ID on the person. Get an ID on the vehicle. And watch them. I mean, they'll be able to watch them come and go from the scene. Uh, so it's, it's really a great tool. Uh, but is it over, overreaching? <laughs> it, you know, probably is. The, the, the field of view of this thing, of these things is just going to be incredible. I mean, huge. And like I said, it's always recording the entire thing, no matter what they're watching specifically. That, that, you know, that is surprising to me. We, we live in a brave new world. Uh, we are absolutely going to cover surveillance gadgetry, Jason. Oh, yeah. Because I can't not do it. I love this idea so much. There's actually, there's another story that kind of relates to this that I wanted to uh, tell you guys about really quickly. All right. Let's have it. Uh, this story is something that we ran into on stuff they don't want you to know. And I think it will apply to cars very soon if it doesn't already. And that is the Stingray phone tracker. Have you heard of this? I have not. This is a uh, surveillance device that was first for just the military and intelligence. Now state and local law enforcement have this, um, the various kind of devices. So what it does 
is it mimics a cell phone tower. So all nearby mobile phones or other, you know, Wi-Fi enabled cell or wireless data devices like a tablet or something, they all connect to it and it can read what they're doing. It can take data from off the phone. Oh boy. And, uh, there's not really any way that the average person would stop it. It can turn off the phone. It can track the phone. So when I think of this, I also think of what we're talking about with increasingly computerized cars. So as you and I and everybody driving newer cars uh, gets a car that's closer and closer to a rolling computer, then what what's going to happen is we're going to end up having more and more personal information stored on it. Not just where you go and when, but also, you know, all your contacts. Well, people already pair phones to cars just for simple Bluetooth activity, right? So, so that's very, very easy to be. So the the car then could act as a pass through device to another, to one of these stingray devices. Exactly. Well, that's interesting. That's a, that's a crazy thing. What's it called? Stingray? Stingray. Uh, uh, the stingray is an IMSI catcher. So international mobile subscriber identity. Wow. And there's, and there's no way to, to detect when this is being used uh, nearby. So you don't know if it's it's not for the average phone user. Yeah. Wow. You'd have to be. Because it's supposed to be mimicking a cell tower, but yeah, absolutely, that could that could definitely affect the way. Uh, I guess uh, people driving newer modern cars that are connected uh-huh. to the cloud, you know, that have uh, well, you know, just the uh, the Internet of Things. I guess I can see what a useful tool that would be in the case of organized attacks. Like, let's say there are a bunch of uh, you mean in a de- bun- you mean in defeating organized attacks? Yes, okay. uh, yeah, like I. There are better words for it, but I, I almost called them a bunch of jerks planning to uh, bomb Rio de Janeiro or mm-hmm. something. And they're planning over electronic devices. Uh, the Stingray technology would allow, would make it much easier to find and prevent that uh, plan. Right? You know, you know, it's funny that it's almost like you would say, well, why, why wouldn't they just install that everywhere throughout the city? And then they'll know. Right. But, right. but then again, the second you say that, then you realize, you don't want people listening. I mean, it, that's it, it goes right to the the heart of uh, you know privacy issues and yeah. what people. And I don't want any of that stuff. I, I mean, I don't like regulations. I don't like all that. You know, anybody listening to what I'm doing, even though it's very boring. Uh-huh. But I don't want anybody listening to that. I mean, I think there's this is a huge, huge issue, and the surveillance topic mm-hmm. is going to be a fun one to do. I think the whole yeah. thing. Oh yes. So before we go too far into it, because I can tell that. Well, that's a very incomplete argument on my part. Sorry. Oh no, I. <laughs> I see both sides of it. It's it's continuing, and we're going to look further in depth on that too when we do an episode just on this. I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I think is kind of sad in the news. Oh yeah, okay. What's that? Uh, Mercedes is killing off the AMG sports name sport name to make everything Mercedes AMG now. Oh my gosh. Okay, you, you okay? You told me this uh, right before we went on air, and <laughs> Sorry, I was shocked. Sir. No, yeah. I mean it, it was like 15 minutes before we uh, started recording. I didn't know this was mm-hmm. happening. Um, you know, at this point, when this airs, probably it'll be old news, maybe. But yeah. but tell me what's happening. Like what's what's going on? Because I don't quite understand where the break is going to happen. Right. Okay. So because they're still going to use the AMG name, right? Yeah. So in the last few years, Mercedes has been using the AMG sport name to describe uh, what Jalopnik calls near beer AMG cars. Uh, the it, it was confusing, but the AMG sports models were a step up from the more basic Benzes 
but not quite full-on AMG cars. Okay, you know what this is already reminding me of? What's that? This is the uh, BMW M-badged cars versus the BMW <laughs> M cars. Oh, man. It's exactly the same, isn't it? It's it's pretty it's pretty much uh you you're not wrong because check this out this they've got this new naming scheme right uh so this naming scheme will abandon the AMG tradition you know one man one engine and it'll make these AMG badged cars more affordable so uh the the current um like the C450 AMG starts a, a little over 50 grand uh, the C63 AMG starts around 65 grand. So is this brand dilution? I ask you, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What do you uh, think? I I'm mean, wondering. I mean, I looked into, uh, some of the AMG forums and you can imagine the reaction people are having, especially oh, a lot of the more traditionalist people. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out today because yeah. I bet it's, uh, I bet they're, they're, they're pretty hot on the collar right now, uh-huh. uh, about yeah. what's going on. Right. You can imagine it'll be worth your time, but there are people who are saying, you know, like my car just dropped thousands of dollars in value. Yeah. Well, you know? did it though? I mean, if it's an, if it's, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure. Maybe the ones that will be produced will, will be worth less, but likely. yeah, that's, that's probably it. I mean, if you got one of the originals, hang on to it, right? Right. Yeah. Seems that way. Unless I'm misreading this story. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. we'll see what the- happens, but it's weird because you, you make the excellent point comparing this with BMW. And I said, you're not wrong and you're not. And I wonder how far this stuff can continue as since more and more large car companies are buying smaller, you know, maybe we could call them boutique or niche cars and then taking a lot of what makes them unique and then just turning it into a logo rather than the performance. Yeah, taking the specialty tuner name and uh, and applying it to your product, even though it's really just a badge and maybe um, some special stitching inside on the seats right. and, yeah. and the steering wheel. Uh, there's a trim package. <laughs> That's right. A different intake and exhaust, maybe, or something like that. I don't know. But uh, it's an interesting idea. And man, I I, um, I I was shocked by the news, but we'll we'll see what happens with this. And again, I I haven't read anything about it yet, so maybe I don't have a full grasp of exactly what's happening. I, I hope I didn't sound too uh too jumbled up there because it's all brand new to me right now but we'll we'll dig into it and maybe maybe that's another topic for you know a future show uh, too yeah uh, you know what's going on with that and maybe we'll even uh tie in the uh the m, m cars and the m badged cars as well well let me lighten it up a little bit sure. before we go to some emails yeah all right uh no if i could have a, a cool sound cue for one of my favorite parts of the show wacky driving laws Ah, wacky driving laws. Okay. So, uh, look, you're in Massachusetts. Let's say you're driving in Massachusetts, right? Oh, oh, I thought you were telling me the name of the town. I thought it was Urine, Massachusetts. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It might be one. Uh, all right. So let's say, <laughs> let's say, uh, you listener are in Massachusetts and you're driving and you see a gorilla hitchhiking. A gorilla hitchhiking. Okay. Yeah. This, I feel like I'm on like the, uh, like the Tonight Show and I'm, I'm Ed McMahon, a gorilla hitchhiking <laughs> <laughs> with or, with or without, um, a person. Uh, you can't, you really shouldn't get the gorilla in your car or at least it has to ride shotgun because in the state of Massachusetts, whether or not you own it, it is illegal to have a gorilla in the backseat. Illegal to have a gorilla in the backseat. Now where, uh, okay, how long has this rule been on the books? <laughs> And when, is there, is there an indication of where that came from? Is there, there's a, um, when the circus came to town or something? As important as choosing the right destination when traveling 
is choosing the right travel partner. Jean! Eugene Fodor! Jean, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I'm being specific with a gorilla, but the actual law reads this way. No person shall transport an animal in the back of a motor vehicle in a space intended for a load on the vehicle on a public way unless such space is enclosed or has side and tail racks to a height of at least 46 inches extending vertically from the floor. The animal is cross-tethered to the vehicle, protected by a secured container or cage, or otherwise protected in a manner which will prevent the animal from being thrown, from falling or jumping from the vehicle. So not just... A gorilla, which is fun for the sake of argument. I like it your way better. But also, you know, you can't put your dog in the backseat, which to me, I get the safety thing, but that's kind of ridiculous. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a little bit much, I think. That's you know, you know, it's too. funny. Okay. Yeah. This kind of leads into something I'd like to talk about in a, in a roundabout way. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my in-laws were in town this last weekend over the holidays. It was, uh, you know, as, as we said, we were recording this in the early part of 2016. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were here just after the new year. And, uh, this is, I, I can't even believe I'm going to mention this part, but, um, I have a, a, a different story to get to here, but. Okay. 
he was telling me, my, my father-in-law was telling me uh, about a time when they were in Cancun, Mexico recently, uh, the last time, a few years ago, really. And they were walking onto the property of the hotel, and there's a guy sitting below a palm tree or, you know, whatever kind of tree it was. And right next to him, sitting on the ground next to him, is a gorilla. What? A live gorilla. Like like you'd see at the zoo, a giant live gorilla. They're just hanging out? He's, You know what he's doing? He's trying to get people to come over and take photographs with the gorilla for money. So as they're walking down this road, he's like, no, they can't, he, no, that can't be it. You know, he thinks he's seeing things like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> too much tequila or whatever, you know? <laughs> and it, the guy starts calling to him. He's like, Hey, senor, come over here and take a picture with the gorilla, Where you know, and this gorilla. And it, I don't know. That's what I kept asking him. And he said, he said, you know what? It just sat there the whole time. It was very placid. It didn't move. And it was, it was real though. It was, it was a real, Definitely it was a real a deal. It wasn't a guy. Cause I asked, I said, it wasn't a guy in a gorilla suit, was it? And he said, no, it wasn't that. And it wasn't a fake. It was real. And so, you know, they walked over and they got sort of close, but not cl- not too close because you right. don't want to get too close to a real live gorilla and that's not in a cage. And the guy is trying, again, prompting him to take this photograph. And he says, no, no, no. And so, you know, he asks, he starts to ask his wife, you know, if, uh, my mother-in-law, if, if she would like her photograph with it. And she says she also declines and and they, you know, just find it very interesting. And, you know, like, well, that's a crazy story. And they walk, start to walk away. And the guy says, Say goodbye to the nice lady, and the 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 gorilla flips them the bird. What? Yeah, it's like his little <laughs> trick. Like if they won't if they won't buy the thing, he says, "Say goodbye to the nice lady," and uh, and he flips them the bird as they, as they walk away. And that was it. That was the end of the story. Nothing That's else so to tell. Weird. But but isn't that strange? I think you know you wouldn't have got the bird if you took taken the photograph. But uh, strange yeah. strange gorillas would come up uh, twice in the same week for me. Anyways, well, All right. let's say you're outside of Massachusetts. <laughs> Just want to just give me, I'll pepper these throughout the show. Okay. You're outside of Massachusetts. Um, you have gotten away with the gorilla and you're dropping the gorilla off in Illinois. Uh, and you hit a deer and, uh, somebody walks by and says, Oh man, I would take that deer home and eat it if I was up to date on my child support payments. Because you see, Scott, what? Only residents who don't owe child support uh, who, who have not had their wildlife privileges suspended anywhere in the U.S. can claim possession of roadkill in Illinois. No kidding. No kidding. That is a weird law. No fooling. You can't claim possession of roadkill in Illinois if you're not current on your child support. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a weird one, Ben, but I, I think we were, okay, with my gorilla side note out of yeah, the way now. Right. Uh, because I had to say it once we, once it came the up. Real the real issues. Uh, say goodbye to the nice lady story. Um, <laughs> this is, this is the, the, uh, maybe the, one of the cooler things that my, uh, my father-in-law told me while he was here. He's only here for a couple of days, but, okay. um, we started talking about old cars. We, he, you know, he saw my project car in the garage. Um, and he's, uh, he used to work for Chrysler a long, long time ago. And in 1965, he worked for, for Chrysler Corporation. And at the time when he first started, he was working or he was driving rather a competitor product. Yeah, I don't know what he had, but it was not a Chrysler vehicle. Uh-oh. And this is still the case uh, with Chrysler as far as I know, because it was when I worked there too. If you yeah. don't drive a Chrysler product, you have to park in the remote part of the lot. And I mean way, way far away. It's uh-huh. not close. It's really not close. And if you drive a foreign make in some, uh, some automotive, um, headquarters, you know, Ford, GM, wherever. Yeah. Sometimes they won't even allow you to park in any of their lots. You'll have to On park property. At least that's the way it used to be. I think maybe that was just the uh, United uh, Auto Workers Union. 
uh, lots that you couldn't park in there at all. You had to find some other remote lot and walk in. But, but that makes sense to me. But, you know, it, it kind of does. You know, if you're, if you're going to work there, I guess buy the product. And you're rewarded for buying the product because right, you can park yeah. closer to the building. Not right? necessarily the, I mean, the union attitude toward foreign makes, I get it, but yeah. it does, it makes more sense to me if you're saying, oh, you come to Ford every day, you work for Ford every day, and you're, driving a competitor's car yeah it's like you're taking money from us yeah so they make you park you know i mean a, a good distance away and i'm, I'm going to say it's you know like a, the back end of the lot which can be really big at some of these big buildings so it didn't take him long during the winter months to decide well i better you know step it up and get a, a chrysler product uh-huh. so in 1965 uh he decides that he's going to buy a a plymouth belvedere convertible and this cool car, right? It's not about a bad vehicle. I don't know anything about the engine or anything like that, but he said, you know, this is back in the day, and this is like taking you back to the way it used to be in the automotive industry in Detroit and what they did for the employees. I don't know if it's similar or not anymore. I don't think it's quite this level, but uh, you would get a build, a build sheet. You know, you'd order what you wanted on the vehicle, uh-huh. and I don't know specifically what it was called, but there's an order sheet, and you could select every option that you wanted on the vehicle. And he ordered this 65 Plymouth Belvedere convertible, and he knew the day that it was going to be produced, and it was going to be produced right there in town. It was going to go through the line because they had these uh, these production schedules. And so he knew the specific day and, and when and where it was going to be. So he asked his boss if he can go down and watch his car being built while it's, while it's happening. So he can go down to the factory because he's an employee. He, can, he has cool. access to this, right? Yeah. So he does. He goes down there, and it's something that you were allowed to do. His boss said, well, take the day and go do it. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of a not-once-in-a-lifetime thing, but you can do it, you know, if you want to. That's so cool. So he did, and uh, that's not the best part of this whole thing. Huh. So he gets down to the line, and he's following He's following his car through the steps of production, right? Yeah. Following all the way through. And the guy, the shop foreman or the, uh, I guess, the line foreman or the supervisor or whatever, and he described him as like an Italian guy, you know, with this heavy accent, you know, when he's describing <laughs> it to me. But he, he was saying like, oh, Eddie, this is your car. And he's like, yeah, that's my car. And he's like, well, we'll give you special treatment. And so what he does is he, as he walks through, this guy follows him and his car through the whole line. I don't know how long it took, maybe a couple hours, or, yeah. you know, a long time. But this is really crazy. As he goes through the line, they do special things for him. Like when they're putting it together, uh, you know, they they see him there and he's watching everything that's happening. They welded his initials on the fender of the engine bay, uh, oh, wow. you know, like in the metal. So yeah. like, they, cause it wasn't a robotic thing at that point. It was a handheld welder and the welder welded his initials, you know, into the, uh, ED for, you know, his, his initials. Uh-huh. Um, so they put that in there and then they did, uh, like a, when they got to the seats, the seating area, they put like the, the better seats in, I guess, with like the special stitching, you know, like the, uh, the, uh, it was like an upsell, I guess, at that point. So, uh, thicker, I don't know if it's thicker or double or what it was, but yeah. like better seats. There was something to do with the convertible top operation, like the, maybe it's the mechanism or something, or maybe it's the top itself. He didn't remember exactly what that was, but said that there was something special about that as well. Get this double paint. They oh. ran it, he ran it through the paint booth twice. Now that's, that's cool. something you would never get today. No. Cause there's a very strict limit of what they're allowed to do, but, but they put double paint on the body of this vehicle for him. Oh. And it was all, you know, like, oh, Eddie, we'll take care of you kind of thing. Yeah. And, and then at the very end, the last like final touch on this thing, he got a police certified speedometer put in instead of the, uh, the standard speedometer. So it just said, you know, I think on the it was stamped on it, it said certified or something like that. But it was a uh, a police issue speedometer. So this whole vehicle was like really custom. And I, cool I said, well, thing. well, where is it? You know, do you know where this car is anymore? 
And I uh, said, no, you know, here's what happened. I was driving, I don't know if it's later that year or a couple of years later, uh-huh. uh, someone ran a red light and he swerved to avoid that person and hit a pole or a tree or something and completely totaled it. Oh, um, but he ordered, ordered a second car for his mother. His, so that'd be, uh, my wife's grandmother, another Plymouth Belvedere, I think, but a hard top. And that was the wife, uh, the car that my wife, uh, drove in high school and had for a few years. But I, I wish we could find that car still. She had just a, a standard hard top Belvedere. Uh-huh. But, but what a cool thing, huh? Like, to, can you imagine that level of, um, not service, but individualism, uh, individual attention, I guess, maybe that you get when you show up and ask to see your car being built. I, I don't even know if they would allow you to do that anymore unless you were inside at that fact, that specific factory. I think you would have to have some pull. I'm sure if you're a celebrity, right? Maybe that, that work or if you are, uh, the president or something. Yeah. And yes, I mean, I know about the whole thing where you can go and watch, you know, plants operate. And I know that you can go to the factory in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and you can, I think you can even help build your engine for your Corvette. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know that there's, there's certain things similar to this, but it's sure. not exactly like this. I mean, that was a, that was a really interesting story. I thought, I, yeah, I think those are the good old days. Yeah. Candidly. I think so too. That's pretty cool though, man. Uh, let's, okay. Let's balance it out with, uh, when we're talking about the good old days, Let's talk about something that might be kind of weird. And I, I don't know if this is an entire show, but this is something that I've been uh, keeping an eye on for a little while. And when you talked about the gas crisis earlier, it, it uh, set off my spider sense because I was going to talk about that, too. Mm-hmm. So oil briefly, like this week, fell below $30 a barrel. Yeah, I did see that. And, you know, I, I just heard about it on like a, a little quick news blurb. But what it initially made me think of was, uh-huh. oh man, I'm glad I didn't buy a hybrid. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, because it, why who knows? That? well, you know, because it, it, with the price of gasoline coming down so far, yeah. it's going to make that time that it pays to, you know, you remember that, that whole, yeah, um, how much money do you actually save? Yeah. The trade off oh, on boy. what you pay up front for the hybrid versus, yeah. uh, you know, that, and I, I know that there's arguments for and against this and, and uh, so many different angles, so many different levels to this, right. but that was my initial thought. It was like, oh man, well, get fuel prices are coming down. Good for, uh, good for me. Good for us. Huh, right. It's the initial thought is, uh, is great at the gas pump. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, there are consequences elsewhere. Well, yeah, there are consequences. Oil prices have fallen. This is according to BBC by 70%. In the past 15 months. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Well, for some countries that are oil producers, this could spell a lot of trouble. So, uh, the, I didn't know this, Scott, at all. And this might interest you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Some countries look at their, their oil money and their oil production and come up with a price per barrel that they need to balance their budget. Yeah. So that they can sustain their economy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, in Russia, the finance minister of Russia said the Russian budget could only be balanced at an oil price of 82 bucks a barrel. $82. I heard that number as well. That was in the same news story. And so I was thinking, what what is going to happen over in uh, Russia at this point when when it's down to $30 a barrel? Right. And is it going to continue to drop? Because I've heard people say that there's a chance that it may drop to as low as $10 a barrel. Yeah, maybe briefly. I don't know how sustainable. Well, that no, is. no. Then I think it starts to rebound the other way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so, anyways, there's a there's a lot of uh, politics that go along with this too. But it's very interesting to watch uh, how other economies handle this uh, the, this situation. Like, well, you know, there's there's this real. It's a pretty delicate balancing act, really. Oh, for and, sure. And you know, for us to be at thirty dollars a ga- uh, barrel, rather, 
when they're sustainable only at $80 a barrel. Oh, man, they've got to be going through some tough times right now. But uh, maybe, well, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens in the next year or so. And that got me thinking uh, about gas prices in general. We've talked about it before, mm-hmm. right? So I went back to look at uh, some of the uh, average prices of gas to see what was the most expensive and uh, what was the least expensive. You know what I like about this? What's that? When, whenever we say anything, like doesn't matter when we say it's high over here in the yeah. United States, we say, oh, my gosh, it was four fifty oh, a gallon. I know what you're going to say. Someone from Europe will write in and say, big deal, it's $11 a gallon here, equivalent. Right, right. 9 to $11 yeah, a gallon. Yeah, you know, based on the liter price. Yeah, that, and that's that's a really good point. Also, we'll just fast forward to the response that we give with that, which is, uh, in the U.S., being such a car culture, it, it's also true that the, there are very few reliable ways to get around other than a car. Now, granted, okay, in uh, denser cities, there's public transit. Sure. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are uh, private bus operators, right? Yeah. And there's also, uh, what's next, well, Amtrak. Car sharing, even. I mean, you, don't, you don't have to. I mean, that, that's starting to play into it in a, in a bigger role now. Mm-hmm. So um, there's also Uber and all those services that you can call. I don't think you can call an Uber from here to Los Angeles. No, probably not. No. I bet you could. Well, what yeah. a weird, what a weird trip. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a story for uh Jalopnik or uh, something we could do. Like we called an Uber and got, got the guy to take us on a road yeah, trip. Take us to Miami. God, can you imagine how expensive that would be? Oh, I can't. No, That's I can't. Cartoonish. No, I can't. Uh, that person might be able to uh, just kind of hang it up for a year or two and uh, live the good life. That Uber driver. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, in general, gas prices have uh, have dropped for the average American at the pump. Uh, the highest is still going to be California and Hawaii. Yeah. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is uh, about Two bucks eighty one cents. Two bucks eighty two cents per isn't gallon. That, isn't that something? Can you imagine? Because remember, it used to be like four, five dollars in some places sure. in California. Yeah, and uh, it also made me want. I wanted to ask you, what's the most you ever paid for a gallon of gas? You know what? I'm going to say that it was probably somewhere near an airport, like trying to return a rental car. Oh yeah, uh, that's you know, such a racket. When you get close to six dollars a gallon, you know when it's uh, when it's really only and at the time it was expensive elsewhere too. I mean it was around four dollars a gallon, but this would have been, I guess, around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, somewhere mm-hmm. in there when the prices mm-hmm. just spiked way up. Yeah, um, I'm I'm going to say for sure it was around an airport returning a rental car, and I know that's a terrible tactic, but you know if if you get into that position where you know, you're at a hotel and there's nothing nearby and, you know, it's right there by the uh, the airport. That's the worst place to get gas, but sometimes you just have to. Well, yeah, because you have to turn the car in by a certain time yeah. and you have to have the tank filled or else it's still going to cost more if the rental company fills it up. Well, you know, sometimes I'll just top it off with a garden hose, you know, just so yeah. the gauge goes up and that's fine. The old uh, Scott Benjamin maneuver. That's <laughs> no, what they call I'm, it. That hurts. Right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, but honestly, like I've I've rarely been in that position because usually try to plan ahead and get it, you know, so that it's full when you return it. But you don't have to stop at that that last stop gas station where they just mm-hmm. they just gouge you every time. So what do you think is the highest you've ever paid, Ben? Oh, I don't think I've gone up to six, but in a rental car situation, uh, I've gone up to. Four. Five or maybe four fifty, mm-hmm. uh, but 
Not uncommon. And I was scandalized. And you know, if they, if they do it, if they pump it at the, at the place, you know, I, yeah. I forget what the price is, but it's like, it, it is like eight fifty or $9 a gallon uh-huh. or something just outrageous. So, uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I'd love to our, our European friends to call in and, uh, or to write, call in. I keep saying that the call in, uh, to the live show here. No, but, um, <laughs> write in and tell us, uh, you know, roughly what, uh, what's the fuel price right now over there? Cause we, uh, we don't have a good sense of that right now. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen over on the other side of the pond or, you know, somewhere else in the world, Australia would be a great example. Uh, write in and let us know what, what your average gas prices, as we've said before, and you may have heard in a previous episode, uh, we are aware that a, a large amount of the price or a large percentage of the price in several European countries comes from taxation, mm-hmm. not necessarily the cost of refinement and transit. It's, yeah. a, it's a tax. Sure. Yeah. Whereas ours is more if a, uh, a shipping lane is shut down uh, for a significant amount of time, we, mm-hmm. we feel the pinch over here. Right. Right. And, uh, and also this is an episode for a different show, Scott, but it also makes me wonder. I was, I was talking with, with some coworkers about how gas or petrol prices affect research on, you know, hybrids and electric cars, economy cars. I'll even throw in solar power, man. Oh, sure. Cause you know, every so often we see a solar powered oh. car. Well, yeah. I that mean, it's creep that just kind of creeps along. <laughs> yeah. Very, uh, those are very, very limited. And we, we've talked about those two, how they're yeah. mostly, uh, mostly academic, um, like proof of concept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, mostly for competitions in colleges and things like that. Right. But with this, you know, you see the point that I'm getting at here. Uh, once the price of a barrel of oil drops below a certain threshold, Companies are de-incentivized to continue research and design on these other things. Well, they're going to go back to the giant vehicles with, uh, with huge engines, mm-hmm. and uh, and everybody will go out and you know hand over their wallet practically and say like, take it, you know, because I <laughs> I can afford this vehicle now. But then again, the price will go back up, and then everybody will kind of cut back and say we want smaller vehicles. It's really a tough position that it puts uh, it, it puts the manufacturers into a, a very difficult spot because they don't mm-hmm. know what to. What to do? I mean, they try to look at the trends and see where it's going, but uh, who knows at this point? I still see. I still see a lot of man. Okay, there, a lot of manufacturers are going to keep the heavy hitters, right? That's like the the heavy hitters that maybe aren't the best in terms of efficiency, but in terms of power, they're knocking out the park. Like the Ford F one fifty is not going to go away. No, no, neither is the Cadillac Escalade, and right. uh, also the uh, the Camaro SS and mm-hmm. the uh, the Chevy Corvette. Yeah, they're uh, you know, here to stay. They're going to have vehicles like that. The Mustang, of course, the GTs and the Shelbys and but all I, those. I think those economy cars, the smaller ones, are still going to stick around too because in a way they're insurance. They're hedging bets, well, right? They have to for the cafe standards as well. Yeah, good point. So, you know, there's, there's, oh, man, there's so much to talk about when you talk about just, just the simple thing, uh, uh, you know, fuel, uh, the price of, uh, you know, a barrel of fuel. Yeah. Uh, or a barrel of oil, rather. Um, that, uh, that leads to so many other side conversations. I mean, we really could have, uh, nearly a month's worth of shows or, or more, uh, just about that. Uh, Scott, that reminds me. Uh, first off, we're going to have to make this a two-parter. I know it. Can you believe it? We've, uh, we've had so many side stories and, uh, and other things that have I come know. up. Just kicking uh, our feet. We're up. talking about junk drawers, talking about gorillas. Shooting the breeze. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff. Uh, so I, I do have one thing that has, uh, Absolutely nothing to do with what we were talking about. Okay. No. All right. Just, just a quick question. And it's for you as well, ladies and gentlemen. When you were growing up, 
Did you did you hear ever hear that old saying about the price of something in China? Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. What was the price in the saying that you heard? The price of tea in China? That's what I always heard. Yes. Okay. That's what I always heard. But apparently, and I don't know if this is just a Tennessee thing. My family, they called it the price of eggs in China. I've heard that before, though. But but it was commonly the price of tea in China. I thought so, too. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that maybe there's a regional thing. Happening. Well, I, yeah, I just I'm wondering if it's a regional thing. And, and this just came about because we were talking about, you know, how the price of a barrel of oil does does matter. Mm-hmm. Like in the world we live in today, the price of tea or eggs or oil or another commodity in a foreign country has has a profound impact. You know, it's often that you will hear uh, the the price quoted for a gallon of milk. Like a gallon of yeah. milk costs X number of dollars, and and uh, you know, or maybe even a loaf of bread, or the Big Mac index. <laughs> I'm I'm I the telling big, you the truth. The Big Mac index. It's a real it's a real thing. Have you heard of that? No, I don't think I have. Isn't there another? There's a Waffle House thing too. Yeah, yeah, that's FEMA. Okay, FEMA. Okay. <laughs> I, I hand to God, man. All right. Uh, the the Federal Emergency Management uh, Agency uses uh, informally uses. Uh, Waffle Houses as an indicator of the level of a disaster because Waffle Houses always stay open. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Unless, you know, the building is literally destroyed. Sure. Uh, anyhow, that that is a fantastic thing. It makes me wonder if we should talk about disaster vehicles in an upcoming episode. But for part one of Nuts and Bolts 2016, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Miles D, Ryan A, Yijun C, Bob M, Jason G, Scott's father-in-law, uh, that gorilla. That's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And, of course, you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week with the second part of our Nuts and Bolts 2016 episode. We'd like to hear from you. You can uh, give us some feedback on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Car Stuff HSW. Check out every episode we have ever done. It's a lot out there uh, at carstuffshow.com. And if you want to write to us directly with uh, a story, a question, a suggestion, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful. 
because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.